with us, that's not directed to you guys. Uh, that's to other folks. So you don't feel like you need to be uh, contributing anything. But it, it uh, shares a good deal about our church plant. And it's been uh, something that my wife and I have been interested in doing now for, uh, I would say, at least five years, I would say. Uh, and a lot of it stems from the fact that many of our churches in America uh, don't do a good job at reflecting the truth that we are made brothers and sisters with one another in Christ. Uh, Martin Luther King, as you might know, was quoted as saying, the 11 o'clock hour on Sundays is the most segregated hour of the week. And there's a, a ring of truth to that even today. And yet the gospel tells us that those who were enemies from one another are now made brothers and sisters united together in Christ. And so as a way of expressing the reality of the gospel, we should be seeing churches represent the diversity of their communities and racial diversity and socioeconomic diversity and generational diversity. And that is what we are hoping to do as a church with the Port Towns Church Plant. So if you guys are interested in learning more, I'd love to meet up with you, get lunch, grab coffee. Uh, we just purchased a home. I just tore down a wall in our house. So uh, if there are folks who like to do a little bit of manual labor, and I remember when I was in school, I felt like my the only purpose for my body was to transport my head and my fingers around. Uh, and so if you want to have like a little bit of manual labor, uh, I will feed you whatever you want to come help me out. So let me know. So with that, uh, let's turn to today's scripture reading. Uh, I will be uh, teaching from Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11. Hear from God's word. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings because like becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have told us that it will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish its work. And so, God, I pray as we grieve from this past weekend, as we struggle with the tasks that lie before us, as we look forward to this rest of this week, I pray that you would nourish us with your word. 
I pray that you would not only work in our minds, but that you would also work in our hearts and our actions as well. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Chris told me that you guys got to uh, uh, learn from this passage if you were at the fall retreat. Uh, recently, uh, and you learned from Pastor Glenn Hoberg, who I look up to quite a bit. Uh, so I feel as if uh, I am walking in the shadow of, of a great giant here. And uh, I, I pray that God will use uh, today's scripture uh, for our benefit uh, today and this evening. So to begin, I'm going to uh, to date myself a little bit and say that uh, I, I was part of the, the first a round of people who got to join Facebook. Uh, so if uh, you know anything about Facebook, it initially started being just a college-focused uh, social media uh, outlet. Uh, and you could say just a very bare-bones things about yourself, your name, your birthday. Uh, and then there was like, you could share your relationship status. I think there was only like four options. You could say you're single, in a relationship, engaged, or married. Uh, and if you want a funny story, uh, I would encourage you to go talk to Aubrey after all done to hear how uh, we ended up dating because of this limited number of options uh, in Facebook. <laughs> uh, but funny story aside, we know that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all these things have expanded far beyond this just simple thing that I got to start out with with, with Facebook. And I've grown to understand the appeal of creating uh, a public persona that people are going to like, right? We, we, we know that if we have just a certain way of posting something, we're going to get a certain reaction. Uh, we're going to try to take time to craft our comments in certain ways to provoke a certain reaction. We're going to uh, work uh, so that we can get just the right selfie to post on Instagram. And, and, uh, and you guys know right what I'm talking about. Like, and, and there's obviously people who are far better at this than I am. I, I only just recently, after I guess... Ten some years on Facebook just crossed the thousand friend uh, level, so I felt like there was something we're celebrating there, but it felt kind of vain. Uh, but but so I didn't. But uh, like we've got Instagram celebrities right now. I don't know if you guys know of the name uh, Wellington Campos. Has anybody uh, heard of this guy? Uh, so uh, he has 5.4 million followers on Instagram for posting funny photos of Woody from from Toy Story. And so if we uh, scroll through uh, to wherever the, the slides are at, I can show you a couple of them. So there we go. Uh, we got Woody uh, eating some Nutella, uh, you know, posing for the selfie, looking pretty sharp, looking pretty flat. Uh, and then face planting into the cupcake, uh, which sometimes I wish that I could do as well. Yeah, why, so why do we spend so much time trying to craft these particular images? Why do we spend all this time trying to craft that woody post or find that funny picture? Well, for, my, for myself, with a little of my own self-reflection, I would say I do this for the same reason that I stayed up until the daylight hours working on papers or spent a long time thinking how I would break some bad news to my boss. I wanted to prove myself to others. I venture to guess some of you would have the same reasons that you do uh, this as me. We want to prove to our friends that we are worthy of following. We want to prove to our teachers that we're worthy of a good recommendation. We want to prove to our parents that we're worthy of their love. We want to prove to ourselves that we are worthy of praise, of love, of even being. 
we have this insatiable need to prove ourselves. And today's text has something to say to those who are longing to prove themselves. Because this is exactly who Paul is addressing in the first part of Philippians chapter 3. The passage starts out by saying, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul has some strong names for the people who are causing problems for the Christians in Philippi. He starts out by calling them dogs. Uh, now, that's, that's something that we uh, might, necessar- not, might not necessarily attribute to being a bad thing to be called today. Uh, but it, it was literally in Paul's day viewed as the most vile uh, creature that walked the earth. Uh, it, it would be the equivalent, in my opinion, of today calling somebody a house centipede. Does anybody know what a house centipede is? Uh, see, I, I didn't even know that these... these I don't even know what to call them. They're, they're, they're terrifying. I didn't even know they exist. They don't have them in Washington State where I grew up. And so I get to St. Louis uh, where I went to undergrad and, and, and found out about these terrible things. If you wanted to insult me, call me a house centipede. They are horrific creatures. And that is what Paul is getting at. These are, something, these are vile creatures that, that Paul is calling uh, these, these uh, people who are causing problems in Philippi. He also calls them workers of evil and mutilators of the flesh. And I, I'm not going to get into all the details of what that means, but we, we, can all, we can get the sense that these are not good things to be calling people. And so why is Paul speaking so poorly of them? Well, the text tells us at the end of verse 3 that it is because they are encouraging people to put their confidence in the flesh. That's an unusual term again for us today, but Paul is using the term flesh in this context to refer to our works and our actions that we use to prove ourselves to the one who matters most. And I would argue that that person is God. See, you can go about proving yourselves to your teachers, your parents, your friends, even yourself. But if you uh, accept that there is a God, that he is supreme over all things, that he created all things, that he sustains all things through the word of his power, then who is more important to prove yourself than to God? So these dogs... These house centipedes, as Paul says, are trying to get people to perform certain deeds to prove themselves to God. Yet I must say that uh, I understand the impulse to try to prove myself to God. I feel like I, I, can, I can sit and feel uh, a similarity with, with the, the, problem, the troublemakers in Philippi. Does anybody uh, have any agreement with that? It's something that we uh, are, are drawn to, right? What, what benefit is it to prove yourself to anyone else and not have your standing before God figured out? 
So like I was saying, this is a question that has been a significant part of my own life story. So I grew up in a very high-achieving household. I was expected to have good grades, to excel in sports and extracurricular activities. And I did my best to meet those expectations. Right? I, I was top in my graduating class. I was captain of the football and track team. Uh, I, I, I participated and helped lead my, my youth group uh, in, in church. Like, I, I tried to do all of these things to prove myself, especially to my parents. And if I needed to prove myself to my parents, then of course I had to prove myself to God as well, right? And so what I did is I tried to do all of the morally upright stuff, at least with regards to uh, my public image. I I didn't drink, I didn't sleep with anyone, I did did all the things necessary to keep up this image of purity. Uh, And it was all about this image. And I thought... That God would be pleased with me if I did as well as I could. But Paul tells us in today's text that our best efforts are not enough. And in fact pulls out his own resume to prove his point. He starts off in verse 4 by saying, If anyone else he thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's essentially uh, introducing his resume by saying, Nobody's got a better one than me. Right? It sounds a little bit cocky. It sounds a little bit prideful. But he goes on to back it up. He goes on to say that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, again, this is kind of uh, odd language for us today, but essentially he's saying if, if there is any uh, standard that, that uh, a Hebrew person will want to live up to, this is ex- Paul has it, right? He was baptized exactly uh, and dedicated to the Lord exactly when he was supposed to be, uh, and he was one of the, part of one of the most respected people groups amongst the Hebrews. He had every advantage according to his birth. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he has this pedigree. He has this this great uh, uh, birth lineage that he is a part of. But he also has this this line of of work to back everything up. He says that he is blameless. that, That before God, he would say his conscience is clean. So... What more could a guy need to prove himself to God? You would think that Paul, of anyone, should be willing to lean upon his own resume. He just went on to say, I've got the best one there is. And I am going to uh, be able to say, I should be able to prove myself with this, right? Well, what does he do? Let's see in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul is taking the resume that everybody wants, the one with all of the accomplishments, all of the great recommendations, all of the the right credentials, and he is throwing it on the ground for something else, is what he's saying in this passage. He chooses to no longer appeal to his own work 
but instead is appealing only to the work of Jesus for his acceptance. He no longer needs to keep up this perfect record. He no longer needs to accomplish every accolade to prove himself to God. Because he has Jesus now, who is, far, who is of far greater worth than anything that we can work up to on our own. And so Paul offers a decision for us. And I offer it up to you all today. How do you plan to prove yourself to God? Will you continue to try to build that resume and hold it up to God and say, is this enough? Or are you willing to set it aside and appeal only to Jesus to be able to achieve that sure and accomplished standing before God? For those who are tempted to take that first option, I, I want to say a few things. One, I, I would remind you again that Paul says that he had the best resume that there is, uh, and yet rejected his own resume for that of Christ's. So if we accept that as true, then that might not be the best route for us to take. On top of that, how much time do we need to get our resumes just right so that we can hold it up before God? And one of the things that this weekend, this past weekend, has reminded me, amongst many other things, is that we are not ultimately in control of the time that we have. And so how much time is it going to take for us to be able to make our resumes look uh, up to standard for the sake of God? And so I would encourage you to stop trying to prove yourself to God and take the perfect and completed resume of Jesus as your own. In a world that is full of people trying to prove themselves. What a gift you have before you today that you are fully proven before God if you simply set aside your resume and accept Jesus's. For some of you, this may be the first time that you are peeking over the fence into Christianity. The first time that you're exploring the claims of the Christian faith. And I would encourage you, I would plead with you to examine the question that is before us today. How would we go about proving ourselves to God? But this challenge isn't just for those who are new to the faith. It is also for those who have set aside their own resume and held on to Christ for many years. It's worth noting that Paul in the text uh, does something rather interesting. He, he, when he makes this bold statement from, uh, the, from the beginning of verse 7, uh, he starts in the past tense, right? He's talking about something that happened in the past, but now he shifts over to the present tense, saying, Indeed, I count, right now, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is like a vigorous restatement of what he just said. And, and he's not just saying, I'm pointing back to this decision that I made long ago. No, he's saying this is something that I need to do on a daily basis. That I need to regularly remind myself that I need to appeal to nothing but to Christ and to Christ alone. 
Friends, I, I confess to you today that this is a word that I need to hear, that I am somebody who would say, yes, I, I claim Christ's resume as my own. I have to cast mine down, but I often want to reach down and pick mine up, uh, dust it off, and be able to kind of show God, hey, can I get a little bit of extra credit, right? Uh, that, that I know that everybody is uh, accepted in, in Christ, but maybe I could be a little bit more acceptable, Right? Maybe I could earn something a little bit more. I work hard. Right? I keep away from bad stuff. I don't struggle with such and such sin or temptation. But in doing so, I've actually created a new standard for what it means to be Christian. Right? I, I, I've said not only do you need faith in Christ, but you need to not be getting drunk regularly or getting high. You need to uh, not be struggling with your sexuality. You need to uh, uh, not have any struggles with depression. Uh, and in doing this, though, I've done the very same thing that the, the, the troublemakers, the dogs, the house centipedes uh, were doing at the very beginning of this passage. I have placed hurdles in front of the gospel to be able to come and to uh, accept this, not only for others that I push the standard upon them, but this standard for myself as well. Right? I'm not only harming myself, but I'm, uh, others, but I'm harming myself by creating these barriers to the gospel. But I remind you once again that there is only one resume that we get to appeal to. I don't get to reach down and pick mine up and dust it off and say, this is uh, something I want to get a little extra credit for. No, it's either I get to appeal to my own resume, which isn't going to be very good, or I can appeal to the resume of Christ. And that alone. Those are the options that are before us. And in doing so, we, uh, if we only, uh, if we try to add to the gospel, we are, uh, in a sense, harming ourselves greatly. And so, friends, I want to encourage you once more to rest from your pursuit of proving yourselves because you are already proven in Christ. You will need to still uh, work hard in things. You'll still need to uh, put forward your best effort to secure whatever summer things are when they come along. But in the midst of all of those things, remember that you are working not in order to prove yourself, but out of the reality that you have already been proven in Christ. And as you do this, uh, you will be able to not have to lean so much to try to prove yourselves to others, but you will find greater and greater rest in Christ. So, friends, if there's anything that I can encourage you to do, is to remind yourself that you do not need to prove yourself to anyone because you are already proven in Jesus. And to find rest in that. I'll close with, with rounding off my own personal story. I shared that I grew up in this very high-achieving household, uh, and I, I was able to accomplish all this list of things, but even though I had this own particular resume that, that looked good, uh, none of those things ended up satisfying my need for approval. Right? The pursuit for approval was endless. And it drove me to depression. And I confess that I, I coped with my depression uh, through all of my middle and high school years by turning to pornography. And I, 
I was a pained human being who was just looking for acceptance. But it, it wasn't and it wasn't until I, I realized the love of Christ and that I no longer needed to work to earn this acceptance, to earn this approval before God, that I finally was able to turn things around. That I realized that this endless pursuit of approval was not something that I needed to, to be running on anymore. I didn't need to strive for this any longer because that had been finished in Christ. And there was no amount of, of, of bad things that I could do to lose that. right? Because my work, uh, my, my standing before God was not based on my work. It was based on the completed work of Jesus. And so as I was able to rest in this reality, things began uh, to change for me in my life significantly. I was able to start turning away from these things that I sought to uh, find some solace in. I I, uh, no longer looked to my resume as much, uh, though I I don't uh, claim to be perfect in this. I do not look to that as much to be able to say, this is what gives me purpose, this is what gives me my identity. Right? And I still have a ways to go. I, I confess uh, that, is, that depression is something I continue to struggle with and something that I am working through now. And, and God promises that one day all of those things will be made right in him when Christ returns. But because of the good news of the gospel, things have been able to improve. Things have been able to change in my life because my identity is no longer uh, grounded on something that is shifting and moving and based on my works and people's reactions to them. They are based on the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we, every day, can take our own resumes and set them aside, saying this is not what makes me who I am. It is what Jesus has done that makes me who I am. A beloved child of God, loved so much that he sent his son to die for me, that I can be an heir of, as, and part of his kingdom. So may God work in all of us so that we can lean more and more on his merits and not lean as much on our own. And may we rest in Christ, in Christ alone. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the identity that you have given us in Jesus. That we are seen as beloved children of you because of Christ. What's more, we have a new family that we are a part of. We are brothers and sisters of one another. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts again and again to remind us of this truth, to remind us that our identity rests in you. May this sink deeply into our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. last song is that old one. <laughs> this, this last song is an old one, traditional hymn called Nothing But the Blood. Um, 
A lot of you probably know it. And, and actually, that's like fits right in, like with what he, because what we're talking about is it's the blood of Jesus that God sees. He sees all the righteousness of Jesus, not your own. That's that's what makes you a Christian. It's not anything about you or me. It's about what He did. So that's why we're. It, it might sound weird, like Christians singing about the blood. We're talking about the blood of Jesus covering us. So anyway, think about that. All right, uh, we're going to do this one a little bit more upbeat and bluesy. Feel free to clap along. Uh.
disconnect, buddy. Okay, hold on. There's a couple other things. There's a couple announcements. <laughs> One is Jessica Forrester. Come up, Jessica. This is her last. This is her last RUF Supper Club, and uh, we've really just appreciated having you uh, this past year. I can't believe it's this year. I feel like it's been longer. But Jessica is going back to Switzerland, yeah. and uh, she's been an au pair to a family at Wallace Presbyterian Church uh, this whole year. And, uh, and now her friend, 